Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by my lovely wife, Yanni, and also Michael Rechtenwald. Michael is one of, if not maybe, yeah, probably the most uh, popular former Marxist professor in the United States who now has published so many books uh, being anti the leftist as he would describe it, neo-Marxist regime agenda of the university system. So really enjoyed today's episode. Both Yanni and Michael identify as former Marxists. Very fascinating episode for me. I appreciate everyone tuning in. If you're a fan of The Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined once again by my lovely wife. We have Yanni in studio with me again. Yanni, how are you? Good. How are you? Doing very well. Um, Courtesy of the Louisville Combat Academy Roadcaster Line, we are also joined by the anti-woke professor, Michael Rechtenwald. Michael, how are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? How are you both doing there? Good. good. Do, doing very well. Was that a good introduction? You are the anti-woke professor. Is that is that kind of your nickname? That's one of the things I am, yeah, for okay. sure. I love it. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think it's so fascinating, of course, your story uh, very authentic story of being raised within the world of academia in the United States. And correct me if I'm wrong, Michael, but then, you know, you had a lot of success academically. You got into being a professor yourself. You were a, uh, you know, a, a full-blown Marxist professor, which there are so many of in the United States thus far. Am I describing you correctly? Yeah. By the time I left NYU, I was a full professor. That's the highest rank. Um, I was uh, very much a leftist uh, and, in particular, a Marxist. 
and uh, I was, but I, I didn't teach Marxism as such. Nevertheless, uh, I was one. I should say though that even as a Marxist, I never indoctrinated in the classroom. I I didn't think that was right morally, and that wasn't what students were there for. And so I exposed them to all kinds of ways of thinking. And um, so I never was uh, like an academic activist as such. Uh, and I found the academic activism to be really annoying, and eventually it totally uh, annoyed me to no end. And uh, that's part of the reason I broke with it, uh, you know, when I saw a lot of the activism going on, but uh, also just uh, a lot of the unbelievably uh, rep repressive uh, totalitarian uh, elements uh, you know, very, very totalitarian and uh, very much about shutting down speech and ideas in various perspectives and, uh, you know, shutting down speakers and silencing critics. When I became critical uh, of, of this woke uh, mayhem and insanity, I, I was, they tried to shut me down and uh, they tried to actually destroy me. Uh, academically, they tried to destroy my academic career. Uh, I don't think they succeeded. I, I, I basically sued the university and uh, left with a, a retirement package. I technically um, was eligible for retirement uh, on the on the very day that I resigned. So, uh, you know, there's the leftists still out there saying that I was fired. That you know, they they just perpetrate all these lies. Uh, about everything, but about me as well. Uh, but they never, they never beat me. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm now, I think one, one of the foremost critics of, uh, of leftism in, in the country, I, I believe. Very fascinating. Of course, my wife Yanni came from Cuba uh, at the age of 26. Yeah. Okay. In 2014, she didn't know why she had to leave Cuba. Yo puedo uh, hablar un poco español. Oh, qué bien. Sí. Very nice. And, and I'm trying to learn a little bit of Spanish yeah. myself, uh, slowly. Poquito, sí. Yeah, a little bit uh, over time. With doing Duolingo, I'm like a 110-day streak for Duolingo, <laughs> so I'm trying my best. Um, Muy bien. Muy bien. Gracias. Um, but what's fascinating about Yanni's story, there's so many things, but she came in 2014 and she didn't. She wasn't taking it lightly. She actually had to leave at the time her eight-year-old daughter. Yeah, she was like. And, and Yanni, at the time, if she would have described why she left, she said it would be correct me if I'm wrong. Financially, yeah. Financially, but also okay, financially. Yeah. But she, her concern for her daughter was, you know, there's no opportunities. You work your ass off. You make like maybe what twenty, thirty dollars a month. Yeah. In U.S. dollars. <laughs> The cost Excuse of everything in, in, in Cuba is the same, basically. So it's like no opportunity. Young females yeah. often turn to prostitution, all sorts of unpleasant um, realities that she faced. Yeah. So she came here in 2014, and it really wasn't until about 2020 that she started to formulate um, her... Yeah, I was, I was still a socialist. She was much. still a socialist. My we, first years in the United States. She was still a socialist. Yeah. Yeah. So she's a defector, just like me. Yeah. A defector, yes. 
Yeah. And, yeah. And Yanni's a big fan of Jordan Peterson. I assume you and Jordan Peterson are, are you know, in we're some. friends. You are friends, okay, and compared yeah, to friends. each other. Okay, so I, you're a fan of Jordan Peterson. He's a fan of yours. Yes. But we have mutual respect for each other and uh, often express we're on a, we're on an email list of dissident professors. Uh, there's about 15 of us uh, that correspond regularly uh, on email, and he's uh, he's on there. And uh, yeah, so we're we're good friends. I wrote about his uh, departure from academia when he left, and I tried to explain to the idiots out there why he left, and uh, I had left before him. So uh, his de- his his uh, departure was not surprising, and uh, it's for the same reasons that I left exactly uh, that the institutions are completely rotted through and through, and uh, they are completely overrun by Marxist leftists, uh, totalitarians, um, a woke uh, a woke hegemony rules over uh, all these institutions. And then, of course, it is metastasized out into the broader culture. And now it is r- running corporate America, of course, the government, but also all the alphabet agencies and uh, the military. Uh, and it effectively now has permeated everything. Now, it's not strictly Marxist, but it is, uh, it's adopted the same ethos as Marxism. And this is the idea there's this there's this uh, class system or this this kind of antagonism between the so-called privileged or the capitalist class under Marxism and the oppressed or exploited uh, and these are figured now in terms of identity but it's the same ethos this kind of underdogism in uh, this zero sum think zero sum thinking so that, you know, the idea is that production of wealth means other people get poor, according to this theory. Mm. And, and that, that is just not true. Be- because some people, because there's wealth production, this doesn't mean other people are necessarily made poor by that wealth production. In fact, under free market, everybody, everybody's lives improve immeasurably. So what your wife is experiencing here in the U.S. is an unfortunate circumstance, having escaped Cuba, uh, a very oppressive regime that's run by oligarchs, and that's always the way communism ends up. It's never the people, the working class, in control of production. This is a complete fabrication. It cannot work that way. It's always an oligarchical class over top of everything, controlling all production and reaping great rewards themselves. They're effectively monopolists. Uh, and so <clears throat> socialism is nothing if not a monopoly over everything by the state. And unfortunately, she has escaped Cuba, but here we are in the United States turning into a, uh, turning it to the same direction that Cuba was, uh, has gone into. And so it's a, sh- it's a shame I feel very bad for her, but I think we still have a chance to rescue this situation in the United States. We can overthrow this uh, this radical leftist turn towards Marxism uh, that we've undergone. Uh, one 
storyline that comes to mind is we're here in Louisville, Kentucky, and we are not shy about the fact that my stepdaughter attended a, a public high school for her freshman year. Yeah. And even before then, we go back and look at the first assignment she got right when she came to the United States in 2018. Once again, that's four years after Yanni came. Literally the first assignments of her writing in her new language in English mm-hmm. were about racial oppression. Yeah. And yeah. Were about division. division. It was 100% textbook, not called, yeah. hey guys, it's time for Marxism. Basically, it's like victimhood ideology. So, yes, yeah, victimhood yeah. ideology. Yeah, yeah, very well put. It's victimhood ideology. It has the same structural ethos as Marxism. There's this idea that some people uh, are enjoying what they have at the expense of others. And it, it really is all rooted in Marxist theory of exploitation, even though they don't use those terms anymore. Uh, because exploitation, this theory of exploitation, is uh, the idea that the worker is exploited at the point of production by the capitalist who steals half the per, half the value of each product on on <laughs> that's produced. It's a, a complete fabrication. Of the it's premised on the labor theory of value, which is false. Um, and so, yeah, it's the same ethos. It's the same governing uh, mentality running this scenario. So after the, this freshman year at the public high school here in Louisville, Kentucky, where the English as a second language uh, program she was in, starting in what grade? Um, seventh. Seventh grade. Okay, so she did seventh and eighth grade in the, the middle schools, and it was English as a second language, and then eighth grade was a regular middle school. Just a regular. Okay. But then, really, it ramped up the... In high school. In high school. So, her freshman year at this uh, public high school in Louisville, it really just... We started looking at the assignments, yeah. and I mean, it was... And Yanni, in this... This went, was... Uh, actually, we have to say, this was... The school that she was going was uh, uh, in, a, in an area where it's like most African-Americans... So she was basically a minority there. So they're teaching all these kids this victimhood ideology, which, I mean, it's just insane. Very sad because what it appears, and of course someone would listen to me and say, oh, there's a privileged white guy and he's, you know, this is At some point, Carla brought an assignment home. Where, she, where the assignment was basically ma- basically making the police look so bad. So, it was a uh, school full of minority children. Yeah. And, of course, my stepdaughter Carla, being a minority herself, mm-hmm. um, was taught that there are, of course, you know, the traditional Marxist roles and, and uh, you know, in yeah. the world, that there's an oppressor and there's the oppressed. Well, they never mention Marx because they're very smart. Yeah, they know not to mention Marx. Yeah. yeah. That, that's a, a... It's like passive critical race theory. Yeah, so call, passive. call it what you want, critical mm-hmm. race theory. And, they, you know, the, of course, the defenders would say, oh, right. it's not... We don't teach critical race theory. Where does it say that? And, Michael, I know this is right up your alley. So, I mean... You, yeah, I mean, this is... It has... If it walks like a critical race theory, if it talks like one, it's critical race theory. Right. So, despite their disclaimers and their attempts to disguise it which is what they're trying to do uh that's what it is it it comes from this kind of way of thinking critical race theory of course was derived from critical theory 
which was the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory, and their transmutation of Marxist ideology into identity terms. Uh, so there's no question about it. it has Marxist roots, and it has Marxist branches and leaves, and it looks Marxist, and it has the exact same underlying belief system. That is, there's this, like you said, there's this oppressive class and these this oppressed class, and anything that the oppressors have is all gained at the expense of the oppressed. And this is just nonsense. It's it's such a fabrication, and it's very unfortunate because it's it's indoctrinating these kids. It doesn't surprise me that they start this accelerating it in high school because they're trying to get them ready for the you know this uber indoctrination they're going to get in college if they go there a very sad process but long story short after the freshman year at this public school in louisville we're not wealthy Uh, oh uh, you know i'll repeat that we're not wealthy but to yanni it was worth it and we found the best catholic school in louisville great and we're fortunate it's pretty close to where we yeah. live. And her daughter is a, a fresh, I'm sorry, a, a sophomore, a sophomore now. now at uh, the Catholic school. And she loves it. All girls school. So, Michael, my question and what I love about these types of interviews is we did not plan this out. Michael, you did not know what we were going to discuss. Thus far, Yanni and Carla have both been in love with this Catholic school. Of course, the Catholic church is not perfect. No one would ever claim that it is. But Yanni's understanding of it is, is that she was always brainwashed or indoctrinated yeah. uh, to think or believe that communism was great, of course, in Cuba. Right. And that Christianity was bad. But Pro- Protestant... Uh, uh, it's not so much. Not as bad as the put Catholic in the church. same box. It yes. kind of that is very curious. Huh? Yeah, the Catholic Church was the ultimate evil. Yeah, in yeah, the eyes of communist that's because, Cuba. That's because uh, Latin countries are more prone to Catholicism, and likewise, they're going to be more critical of Catholicism than they are. But I mean, it's unfortunate. El Pepe of the Catholic Church is a heretic. Okay. He's a heretic. It's unfortunate, but Catholic, there's good Catholics out there, absolutely good Catholic yeah. Christians out there still. But El Pepe, he's no good, a papa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I guess my question to you, uh, Michael, is uh, what are your thoughts on that? The, the Catholic Church, we watched an interesting Newt Gingrich-directed film that was, what was it called? The um, 11 Days That Saved the Earth? or I forget what something it was. Something like along those lines. And it entailed how Pope John Paul II had spoke in Poland, I think in 1979, and almost to the day, about 10 years later, was the fall of the Berlin Wall. And so some... Yeah. You know, I've heard Tom Woods articulate this. I know Tom Woods is a, a longtime buddy of yours, Michael. Uh, yeah. But the, the Catholic Church is, according to some, the ultimate anti-communist establishment. What are your thoughts on that? I, I'm guessing you've even written about this, not only read, but you're <laughs> very informed about this topic. But uh, we're, we're through an evolution. We're going through an evolution here trying to learn Yanni and I are. I'm very curious about what your thoughts are on that. Well, that's true because uh, the if, if the main thing is that in order to establish uh, communism, you have to dethrone God from the you can, and 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 
you know, Catholicism and Christianity in general, let's face it, is it is a hierarchical belief system because you believe in higher power. You believe in God and that he is supreme. That's a hierarchy. And so communism is theoretically, anyway, anti-hierarchical. And so it needs to dethrone anything like Christianity and especially Catholicism where it's a very hierarchical um it's a hierarchical religion with, um, you know, various levels of uh, uh, representation, like the priest, the bishop, the archbishop, the the, the, uh, the cardinal, and then the cardinals, and then the pope. So uh, it makes good sense that they would have this have it in for Christianity, just as in the Soviet Union, they had it in for the Orthodox uh, Christian. Uh, system and belief. Uh, so I guess they have less problems with pro uh, Protestantism simply because uh, there wouldn't be that much buy-in anyway. That's my guess. But what, what do you think of the Catholic uh, schools here in the United States as a viable alternative? Obviously, you acknowledge that it, you know, it'd be less socialist indoctrination we've seen a little bit of woke stuff going on at the catholic church yeah we've seen to be honest she had like a few teachers but it's a minority of yeah them. it's not as prevalent so I, I when you have a woke globalist leading the church yeah as he is yeah. and actually making heretical statements it's going it, it affects the plebiscites it's going to affect the rest of the pop uh, rest of the church but there's a contingent within it like Archbishop uh, Vigano, who is, I think, is excellent, who is withstanding this onslaught of uh, woke globalism that has penetrated the Catholic Church and has fought back against it. If you haven't looked into him, Archbishop Vigano uh, is a, a great example of somebody within the church. He was once the... Uh, the main representative of the church of uh, in the United to the United States. Uh, I forget the exact title they called it, but um, or they call it. But Vigano is uh, an excellent example of somebody that's fighting the globalism that's trying to that's uh, penetrated the upper echelons now of the church. Uh, so there's always going to be that kind of, you know, this. I'm a Christian, okay? So I believe that there's a battle going on and there's a deceiver that's trying to deceive us and it's uh, it's even going to have an effect on the church itself, which I believe is happening. And in, in, in the, in the uh, I should say, Protestant churches are not immune to this either. Uh, there's a lot of wokeness and critical race theory penetrating many Protestant denominations and uh, sects uh, as well. So it's not like Catholicism is the only one that's being affected like this. And so I'm not casting any aspersions on it. So when it comes to raising children, we have a 15-year-old, a 14-year-old, a 13-year-old. You mentioned earlier, prior to us recording, Michael, you frequently play tennis with your 30-year-old son. How many children yeah. do you have? I have three. Wow. Yeah. So and they're they're all grown and uh, yeah. So the topic of raising children, okay? Who I raised them in a Catholic school. By the way, they went to Catholic school. Okay, and you had a good experience with the Catholic school. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, they always they complain about it here and there, but it, it was actually a good education uh, because there's a rigor, there's discipline, yeah. Uh, there is um, there is a tradition of long-standing tradition of of education of excellence in education. So I I uh, I'm not I don't regret at all that I sent them there. I think that it was the best thing for them, uh, and uh, it was the best option we had at the time. And all this wokeness stuff hadn't touched hadn't touched this yet. You know, there was no question of that. Okay, so the the Catholic schools, of course, appear to be the lesser of two evils, or maybe even just a, a great option compared yeah. to the the public school system. Across uh, public the- schools are, I mean, I wouldn't send my child today if they were younger. Now, I wouldn't send them to a public school if I had to sacrifice half of my income to stop it, or even more. Uh, to I would homeschool them if I had to, and. Uh, I think, uh, I, I believe I did homeschool them anyway. I think all education really starts at home. And uh, without that, there's no hope for, for kids, actually. Very fascinating. So the, the homeschooling or Catholic school system, or if there's another you know private school out there that's away from the indoctrination of the public schools or the government schools, which you know I think is more appropriate name for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, is a, a better alternative. So that's the better option of the two. Um, I think so. Now, what about when it comes to other solutions when it comes to parenting? How important, in your opinion, and Yanni, you too, I'm asking both of you, how important is it to talk to your kids about, you don't want to, you don't want to come across like that's the only thing you care about in life. Like you're a paranoid, you know, some type of conspiracy theorist or anything, but how important do you guys feel it is to talk to your kids about, uh, um, you know, socialism or whatever you want to call it, collectivism or this concept of the oppressor and the oppressed, the oppressed class, things like that? Uh, I'll ask both of you guys. Uh, Why don't you have Yanni, Yanni start? I'd like to hear what she says. Sure. Uh, well, in my place, I think what I do with Carla is trying to tell her the stories. My daughter's name is Carla. Tell her the stories that I lived and kind of compare with the situation that we're living here in the United States. Like just showing her like, you know, that uh, kind of like teaching her gratitude. Because mm-hmm. I feel like that's one of the, if you adopt that attitude, I mean, the public schools is the first problem that I think they have. They just complain about everything. So a lack of gratitude. Poverty in, in America um, that's just to me is a joke. Yeah, like it's a joke because I, I've seen, I've been, I received food stamp when I got here uh, for about eight months because I was a refugee, and then after eight months, I stopped and I started working and feeding myself. I didn't use the government money anymore. And then when people talk about like poverty here, I'm like, no. That's just like, you just go to a building and say you have, you know, low income, and then you get a food stamp for $300. Like, that's just, yeah. So I'm just trying to teach my daughter these things, and, and, and it might she might see it today like, oh, it's just my mom. But maybe one day in 20 years she will remember. Mm-hmm. And then she can make a difference to her kids. So, or so to, gratitude, gratitude. Yes. Gratitude, comparison. 
you know, uh, being on like perspective, look around, just get out of the United States. Just look yeah. around and see how the world is doing. <laughs> so yeah, that's think my. Yeah, I agree with that. And also I think it's important to teach them that so-called income inequality is not some sort of a horror that it's made out to be that just because there's a gap between the super rich and the rest doesn't mean that the super rich are exploiting people. Uh, and it doesn't mean, uh, you know, because even as the rich get richer, which they do in some cases, uh, the income levels for everybody goes up. Uh, and this is proven since the Industrial Revolution, uh, starting in the uh, early 19th century, even the late 18th century. We see a, a, a rapid, once industrial capitalism kicks in, we see this rapid change and escalation, uh, upward graph, uh, an upward trajectory of uh of life of of living standards for uh for people that are working you know so-called working class i don't even like that term because i don't think there is such a thing um i don't think that anybody is consigned to any class uh by birth and they they may be they may be raised by people that work but there is no there's no caste system here um so they're trying to establish a caste system, um, and uh, that's really a subversion within the system. There's like I call them subversive elites that are that's who's operating all that's who's basically driving this this tendency that we're seeing. They're driving all this um, wokeness. They're driving all this uh, neo-Marxist ideology in the schools, and and I think the transgender movement and critical race theory and and uh, the green uh, movement, uh, uh, the environmentalist climate catastrophist movement, they're driving all of this because these people are, are monopolists who are trying to get rid of competition. And so they're trying to convince people that, um, that you know, they're, they're using socialist ideology in order to try to gain monopolies over the economy. Uh, so these are a, a subversive elites. Uh, that's what I call them. And they've been at it since, as far as I can tell, 1903, if not earlier, uh, maybe late, late, late 19th century, actually, early 20th century. So you mentioned 1903, the year I would have thought of would have been 1917, of course, but uh, yeah. random topic, but what's 1903? 1903 is the beginning of... Uh, it's when uh, the earliest roundtable groups were established uh, that came out of uh, uh, Cecil Rhodes' inheritance or his, his, his money, and they started to establish these global roundtable groups that wanted to in, in, you know, basically establish this kind of globalism uh, and uh, a kind of... Uh, uh, feudalistic system. It's, they want to reestablish a kind of feudalism where there's a static hierarchy so that the, the bottom can't move and uh, they have total and complete control over all production. 
this is really what the great resets all about, for example. Uh, and this is what I've just written about. I've finished my book on it, uh, just this week, actually. Um, it's called the great reset and the struggle for liberty unraveling the global agenda. And, uh, so 1903 is when these Milner roundtable groups were started. Uh, and, um, the, the RIIA and the CFR and all these groups uh, that eventually led to the World Economic Forum, which is now running this Great Reset program or project. So, yeah, I mean, these subversive elites have been at it for quite a while, and this is why we're seeing what we're seeing with critical race theory, all these things, why we're seeing this onslaught in the United States and the West in general, um, is coming from these subversive elites. Before we continue, Michael, um, you've written, what is it? Is it, or published 11 books? How many books do you have? I've written 12, uh, and, and 11 are out currently. My 12th is coming out. Uh, it'll be available for pre-order in December before Christmas. So 12 books. Now, I'm looking at your Wikipedia here, and your first book, that was published was back in 1991. Where were you with your progression from? Uh, At that time, uh, yeah. I was actually work. I was actually working in advertising. So before I became an academic, I was uh, I, I had a career in advertising, uh, and uh, I was still writing. And I wrote, yeah, I had a book of poetry published in 1991, and uh, uh, at that time, I was just. I was doing very well in advertising. This is all detailed in springtime for snowflakes, but somehow these leftists got to me and uh, they kind of planted a kind of rotten fruit that I actually uh, partook of. And this led me into academia. And uh, when I got into academia, I, uh, the beginnings of this indoctrination, all this Marxism and feminism and postmodern theory and all that was just, I was being buffeted with this stuff on a regular basis. And you had no choice if you wanted to be a professor in this field, you had to be some sort of a leftist. And so, that, you know, this was very clear. And it was this on, constant indoctrination process that led me into becoming a Marxist. It's very alluring, I believe. I, admittedly, I've never been a Marxist. I was, you know, that, that's not something I've experienced as both of you have. But the 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 same. Well, I didn't the, have a choice. You didn't have a I choice. I got to say, you didn't have a choice. Right. <laughs> However, the indoctrination was powerful, and you well, you bought it, into it. It wasn't notion. powerful enough for me to eventually, but, because but, I left. I get it, but the concept of being a good person is appealing, right? I guess that's you how they sell it. Even when I met you, you associated the concept of being yeah. caring with yeah. that. I associated mean, with ethical behavior, like that it's the highest ethic to want to liberate the working class and to have this egalitarian control over everything where everybody is owning the means of production and all this. And so it, this, is the, this is the sales pitch. And it's very, very tempting. Also, it provides a very, I call it a cartoon version of reality. It gives you this kind of easy way of conceptualizing how things are. They 
presented in this way that you 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 just once you grasp this concept of this you know in this exploiting class and these exploited people and then you start to explain everything in terms of this and it seems to encompass all of reality uh so it's a very tempting and seductive i seductive i call it seductive in my book springtime for T- snowflakes i call it there's a section in there called the seduction of theory and just how seductive theory is this Marxist and postmodernist theory. Very seductive. Very seductive. And just being, you know, I'm a, a, a white heterosexual male. I don't like to be called racist. Just being honest, I don't. I would right. prefer that everyone that knows me doesn't think that guy's racist. So it's just been they've grabbed onto that and they've exploited that, but also the, you know, calling you homophobic or, or trans. Uh, Michael, are you, do you enjoy it if people ever call they you called racist? Me, they, they, they called me a Nazi, uh, a racist, a sexist, a misogynist. Uh, they called me alt-right. Uh, they called me everything in the book. Uh, now it just runs off my back like water off of a duck. Uh, it doesn't affect me at all. I don't care what they say. In my um, case, they can't say I'm racist. So they say, your husband indoctrinated you. Yeah, she has heard that. <laughs> oh. She has heard that. Oh, my God. <laughs> Do you think of all ideologies, Marxism is like the one of the most dangerous? I think it's been proven by history to be the most dangerous and uh, murderous ideologies in all of, in all of modern history. And, uh, you know, it, it's got a track record that is so abysmal, it's killed at least 100 million people of its own people, and it's ruined the lives of m- hundreds of millions more. Uh, it is the most pernicious ideology that's ever existed in, in political history. Very fascinating, um, and I agree 100%. We could go down a list of ways it has negatively impacted your family, Yanni. Yeah. And that doesn't count murder. You know, no one was murdered. It separated all my family. Yeah, so it's destro- absolutely destroyed and discouraged the nuclear family, even here in the United States. But yeah. Yanni's, uh, of course, native country uh, of Cuba. Um, what do you think of the, the concept that, for example, Patrice Cullors and the, the founders of Black Lives Matter, they're on on video, I've seen it, I'm sure you guys have, mm-hmm. saying mm-hmm. they are trained Marxists. I'm sure they regret that because the new, the new in vogue way of presenting this concept is to not say you're a Marxist because conspiracy theorists like us will say, mm-hmm. aha, you're a Marxist, instead to call it something else, repackage it, and call it something, you know, oh, you just don't care about humanity or things like that. Uh, do you think the term Marxist, us referring to all of this as Marxism, is outdated? Or do you think it's still relevant, will always be? I mean, that's what, that's what influenced Mao. That's what influenced Lenin and Stalin. I mean, that's, that's what it is. So, I mean, will always be called Marxism? Well, you know, to be, to be precise, uh, one should think of it in terms of a neo-Marxism. It's neo-Marxist. Uh, because it transmutes these categories into identity categories instead of class and socioeconomic categories. It transmutes them into like oppressor versus oppressed rather than exploiter versus exploited. 
But the ethos, the, the underlying sensibility and belief is the same. It's, it's, drive, it's driven through the same lens uh, of a kind of, uh, two, you know, this kind of a caricature of, of reality, really, a cartoon version of things. Uh, and and they do this with history too. All of history is a kind of, like they 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 make out the white European male especially to be the more you know the worst criminals in all of history, you know because they you know because of slavery and so forth. Meanwhile, it was Europeans who first abolished slavery uh, in history, and a history of slavery is thousands of years long. And so, interestingly enough, they accuse those who actually did something about it uh, of these of the worst crimes. And you know, there isn't a, a person alive, in my opinion, who isn't coming from some kind of conquest, conquistador, in one sense or another. Everybody that's alive, their relatives conquered somebody somewhere along the line. You know, so nobody is exempt from being implicated in, in any kind of thing like that. And therefore their version of history is just so it's such a cartoon version and it, it, it it's meant to destroy, destroy, destroy Western civilization. That's, that's what they're after. They want to destroy and totally bring down Western civilization. So they have a, a very much, uh, they want to start at year zero you know, they want to bring down all the edifices of what we have, and that one way to do it is by painting it as complete evil, and that's what they're trying to do. Very fascinating topic. You mentioned the ancestors thing, okay, and we've watched documentaries. I don't think they do this in Cuba as much. Of course, North Korea is like the most extreme, bizarre case ever, but if you're if you have a, a great uncle who was a, a, a counter-revolutionary. Mm-hmm. You were held accountable for that, oh, yes. that great uncle. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. That, the, they have a notion of, Marxism has this notion of class guilt. Oh, it's yeah. an inherited guilt that you're supposed to get from your, your ancestors. And so they have everything that, it's kind of a, almost everything they have is like analogically related to Christianity. You have original sin, you have uh, guilt. You have all these things. But here's the thing. There's one big difference. There's no redemption under Marxism. There's no way to be redeemed from any sins or anything like that. You're always convicted forever. That's the thing. So, I think whereas Christianity the- believes in there's redemption for the individual, they don't have that. In Cuba, they do that, but it's in a different way. Like if you have family who live abroad and you get sent money from abroad, you are a worm. Gusano. Yeah, a gusano. Which means you, you, you suck on like you're you're a capitalist because you, you get money you get money from capitalists. So to them that's dirty money. It's exploitation money. And then they blame you, make you feel guilty about it. And that happens to uh, even today. It didn't happen to me because I did not have family abroad. But it, I know kids that I went to school with that people will make fun of them because their parents or they got somebody who live abroad and send them money. So they were not well seen. Like they were criticized a lot. 
Same thing. Yeah. And even here in the United States, you see the videos of the white liberals. And I know this is probably hasn't happened that much. But of course, I won't forget this crazy shit I've seen where there's white people like bowing and asking for forgiveness to the African-Americans. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. Not of anything I did. I've never done anything racist. But it's my ancestors who did bad things to your ancestors. So I am so sorry. Please forgive me. I would have to apologize to myself. Because Yanni is Because my, I have 63% Spanish and I also have native and I also have black. So then I'll have to be the 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 <laughs> apologizing to myself. Hey, I'm sorry because I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so stupid. Yes, there's no. Uh, there's but the thing is, there's no amount of apologizing you can do or confessions you can give that'll ever exonerate you from guilt. Uh, there's no way out. Uh, I wrote about this in Beyond Woke, how this is the difference between Christianity and woke ideology is that there's no there's no way you can have your sins expiated through this under this ideology. You're, you're, you're forever guilty and there's no redemption. You are preaching to the choir with yeah. ya- with Yanni <laughs> when it comes to you drawing the parallels between communism and Christianity that speaks to her and Jordan Peterson puts that in many ways in a way that really has has spoken to you Yanni am I articulating yeah, that right. correctly yeah 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 they're two opposite sides mm-hmm. and you've chosen one yeah yeah but they 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 take and they then they don't realize uh, the marxist routine the ideology they really take from christianity many things and then they they um they import them without knowing it uh for example the idea of this kind of their the, the they their idea is kind of christian millennialism that at some point in the future there's going to be this happy eternity this happy uh state of utopia where all pain and suffering is gone uh and they also in this, and they have their own redeemer, which is the Christ, uh, in, under uh, Marxism is supposedly the working class. That's kind of replaces Christ. Um, they they replace all of these elements with their own elements, but it all very much really borrows from Christian eschatology, Christian beliefs. Yeah. In Cuba, they I remember when I was going to school that kind of like the redeemer was to become the new man that Che Guevara talked about. Yeah. So you will be this new man who was um, selfless. Uh, there will always be doing things for others. That's what I was thought, too. And I still have some ingrained in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, listen, I, I, I relate to that a lot because... No matter how much reading and rethinking I do, there's always this tug of of this stuff at you. Yeah, you know, it, it still pulls on you, and it it really is. It's unbelievable how it pulls, and you can it, it doesn't suck me in, but you can feel it. You can feel it tugging at you, right? right? Like feel I that? feel, so yeah. Sometimes I feel like right now, like. I'm better. I'm learning a lot about money and stuff, and I'm learning to be accumulating wealth. And there's still a part of me that I I feel like I don't like to talk to people about it. Like there's a part of me that's always made like, you know, making me feel guilty for trying to take care of myself, and I'm battling against it. But that's what I was just thought since. 
Yeah. And and it, it you talk about it and you said, well, I have to work on it. It have to go away, but it never goes away. I I, I hope one day it will. Yeah, that's that's a very interesting thing. Yeah, it's a, it does. Um, they they implant these um, this guilt in you, this uh, this idea that you having anything must be taking something from somebody else. Yes. You know that's the zero sum thinking. If I get something, somebody else must be getting robbed. Yeah. And this this all comes out of Marxist idea ideology, Marxist ideas of exploitation and it's it's once you really get to the root of it and you see that it's not true that that people are being exploited when they work uh, then you can get get out of this whole guilt complex that they have imposed uh, now I'm not saying guilt itself is net it's negative because sometimes it changes our behavior right yes when we do something wrong we feel guilty and this changes our behavior Um And this is very much part of the Christian belief that we have to repent, and I believe in that. But it has nothing to do with my class position or my race, or it is an individual thing. Or your so gender. They, yeah. They take and collectivize all this stuff when really this individual individualism is really the key, I think. Michael, do you consider yourself a Christian? Yes. This is like a therapy session for the two of you. <laughs> <laughs> We're being deprogrammed all the time. <laughs> Debriefed from I, our, I always uh, wonder like why Kelly was like, Oh, like you're not you don't have any like I never experienced experience this. of communism. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't they know. They never got to you. I'm I mean once they get to you it, it is really hard to get out. Yeah. And this is proof by the fact that How many uh, professors in this country are Marxist and how many get out of it? I would say there's millions of them and the number that get out are, are in the dozens, if, uh, you know, at the most. Literally dozens, maybe 24 or 36, something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. God. Wow. Not a good clip. Yeah. No. Ooh. So... Other it's than a prison. It's a prison of the mind. The mind, yeah. And it, it's so tied to being a good person yeah. that, of course, we all want to be good people. I, I actually do take pride, despite having never you know, been indoctrinated and bought into all that, I, I actually do take pride in trying to be a good person, believe it or not. Some people would hear this and be like, oh, sure you do, Kelly. <laughs> yeah, right, because you're, you know, you're, you're not, you're not, you're not, willing to you know abdicate your 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 privilege your your class position your this your that you're not willing to give it up you're not willing to repent over these kinds of things uh and uh you know that's why they would still say like they think that you know these leftists that hate me now uh they think that i sold out and that i became like this uh capitalist and all this yes i'm a capitalist absolutely that's nothing to be that's not a sin at all and there's nothing to be ashamed of everybody is in some sense yeah. so everybody is trying to take their talents to the marketplace and and exchange them on the market that's what we do and there's right. nothing evil about that yeah that's so true whether regardless of what you call it yanni you did not 
realize it, but the way she got out of Cuba, the way she saved up the black helmet, market, yeah, was by selling <laughs> tobacco and things like uh, on the black market in Cuba. Entrepreneurial, yeah, that's very good. <laughs> she did not realize it in the world. So capitalism save us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. Let's hope we can save the country from communism now. Yeah. I guess that, that that's my next question is what's the solution other than somewhat like-minded people such as the three of us talking and hoping yeah. people listen to this MMA podcast in Louisville, Kentucky, and they hear this and it opens their eyes. Other than that, what is the solution? Yanni, many Cuban-Americans think the solution is vote Republican, right? Yeah, at, many at of cost. them do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Michael, I'll ask you, actually both of you, what's the solution um, to prevent this horrible direction that we're headed in in so many ways? Well, let's hear from Yanni first because she has the more intimate experience of socialism. I think just keep sharing what we think because, like, so the le the leftists don't want us to share it because that that's a that's a pattern that they have. I don't like what you say. I don't like. I blocked you. I don't want to hear anything about it. And I think, um, you know, there are some people out there that don't know anything about what all the country's gone through. Like they literally don't know. They think that Vietnam is doing great, that Cuba is doing great, that Russia is doing great, that, you know, all this, well, Russia is not socialist anymore, but, you know. Yeah. So sure. just sharing for me, like, I am I know I annoyed a bunch of people, but I don't care. I'm going to share it until maybe they get some, some idea. I won't block them and they disagree with me. Yeah. I won't do that. Uh, well, unless they start disrespecting me or saying things that, you know what I mean. Like yeah, absolutely aggressive, but sharing. I, I think yeah, I think I I would agree that sharing and and continuing to look it's a battle for I, of ideas. So there's no question about that. So we have to keep fighting for the ideas of liberty and the and freedom and the free market because the free market is our liberty. It it is the the way we uh, we achieve liberty and maintain it. So I say. Keep fighting in the battle place of ideas and also keep practicing the free market in your own life. Free market in your own life. What does that mean? It means become, as Yanni did, as entrepreneurial as you possibly can. Uh, try to Excuse reduce me. your dependence on the state at all costs. You know, like I'm, I'm qualified. I could, you know, various reasons, things could, you know, whatever you might qualify for from the state, I, I don't take it. I wouldn't accept it. I don't want anything from them. You know, the only thing I'll take is Social Security because they robbed it off me in the first place. Right. Uh, which I wish they had never done. I would, you know, I'd prefer that was my money. Why did they took it against my will, effectively by force, you know, so. Uh, the state, you know, pra you know, I think the state is, uh, sta you know, one way to get to leftists is to preach anti-statism, even though they are statists. They don't like authority and power. So once they recognize the real power and authority and the real, the only, the only institution that has the power to take your money by force is the state. So if you can get away, you know, if you can get that across to them, then maybe they'll come around. You know, that's true. So continue to in as educated or intelligent of a way as possible to speak your mind, to let people know how you feel and not to be ashamed of it 
and to be as brave with that approach as possible seems to be the answer from both of you. Yes. Plus, you know, continue to practice what you preach. Mm. Very interesting. So to continue to not be ashamed of the fact that it's okay for you yeah. to try to own your house or. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to the ownership of the body and the self, right? This is what Marxism takes away right at the beginning. And this is why it's unethical. As Her uh, Hans Hermann Hoppe has pointed out, uh, as Rothbard pointed out, as uh, Mises pointed out, this, what we own is first and foremost is ourselves. Communism is a way of stealing that and turning us into slaves because you don't own yourself. And if everything else is an externalization of, of the self, everything you do is your own labor, you should also own the fruits of that. So this is the principle that has to be conveyed. And the biggest unethical system is Marxism because it tries to take away from people their ownership of themselves first and foremost. Makes sense. Um, Michael, I would describe myself as politically more of an anarchist than a Republican. However, I am looking forward to in November. I'm in Kentucky. I will be voting for Rand Paul. He's running against a, 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 a very socialist guy, Charles Booker, from right here in Louisville. And yeah. I will show up and I will vote for Rand Paul. I hope he wins his you know, maintains his seat in the Senate. How would you describe yourself politically? And then also I'll open up Yanni um, if you want to comment on that too. So you guys go, whoever whoever wants to go first with, with that type of a conversation. I know it's a whole different can of worms. I, I call myself a dissident. Uh, I'm a dissident from the establishment right now because the establishment is, is uh, leftist, socialist, and, you know... Uh, and okay. yeah, and I, I will vote. I, I believe in the, the secret ballot. I'll, I'll vote uh, for the way, I, you know, in the way that I think is most effective to stop uh, the onslaught of this uh, revolution that they're undertaking. I, you know, it's, it's a counter revolution that I'm involved in. So I'll vote however I see fit to do that. And, uh, and I don't give away my vote. I don't talk about it because I think it's made. it was made a private ballot for a reason, and that's why I'll keep it that way. Wow. That makes sense. Yanni? Um, I think, well, I the first year I voted was 2020. When was it? 2020. 2020. So I'm like, I, I really like voting <laughs> because I've never done it in my life before that. So wow. it, I think it's pretty cool. It feels good going somewhere. I don't know if it actually does something. I'm not very convinced of that, especially now. But I don't know. I just still enjoy enjoy it. Yeah, I'm I definitely mean, not gonna vote Democrat. That's for sure. Yeah, that's that's key. I mean, uh, Democratic Party is is completely taken over by leftists and socialists and yeah. lunatics, and uh, uh, they have to be stopped. Yeah. I mean, this is key. And the so. Republican is like very hypocritical too and there's a lot of bad in it, but I feel like from the two evils, probably I choose the less evil. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I support the, the, the Mises Caucus of the Party. Uh, I speak for them regularly. And uh, in local elections, uh, I will vote for that their candidates. No question about it. Yeah. 
that and that's really where they're trying to emphasize their activity is on the local level. So I will vote for a libertarian candidates on the local level uh, if they're Mises caucus people. Absolutely. So what that I will translate that. What that means is Michael will vote for the libertarian candidate if they are the less woke version of the libertarians. Oh, because absolutely. many libertarians for years were absolute shit and probably still are. Yeah, there are out there, but I think they ran a lot of them out of the party, which is good. That's good. Okay, so it sounds like you guys are on very similar pages, and although at different stages of your um, recovery. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Recovering Marxists, yeah. Um, you, you guys both have a, a somewhat similar approach with the Catholic schools yeah. and the thoughts toward voting and, and all of that fun stuff. Is there anything else that needs to be mentioned when it comes to other than speaking your mind and voting to where you think is, is the best, whether it's a libertarian or in certain cases Republican, whatever it is. Is there any other <coughs> calls to action, Yanni or Michael, you guys kind of um, have? I have a whole nine-point plan for stopping what you know the great reset and I, but I won't get into all that it's too much right now one of the prongs of it is though practicing the free market uh, some of the other ones are uh, uh, there there's a lot of elements to it but th th let's keep it simple for this for our purposes is I've I've basically stated everything I would say right now okay Yanni um no Okay. Well, Michael, we really appreciate you joining us for the episode today. I thought it was kind of a, a creative uh, yeah. episode type of, I don't know how many, you know, interviews or anything you've done with people from, you know, socialist countries. Um, this is probably my first and I appreciate doing it. It's great to meet you, meet you, Yanni. And yeah, uh, nice I, you I salute you and commend you for your strength, courage, and uh, faith to move forward. Thank you. Wow, great stuff. Michael, before we wrap up the episode, of course, you have the 11 published books. You've just finished your 12th. If someone's listening and they like what they, they hear from Michael Rechtenwald, maybe this is, hopefully, this is the first time many people have you know heard of, of Michael Rechtenwald. How can they follow you? How can they support you and learn more about you? Every, everything I do, I keep track of on michaelrechtenwald.com. I don't use uh, any... Um, I don't charge anything for my essays. They're all free. All of my appearances, uh, all my interviews, all my books. The only thing I charge for are my books. And sometimes if I, I do merchandising around my books as well, mm. T-shirts, um, sweat, uh, hoodies, uh, things like that. But everything else, you know, like you can get Michael Rechtenwald's essays and interviews and all that. All that is free. I don't have a sub stack or any of that. I don't want to deal with it that way. I do it this way. And uh, so michaelrechtenwald.com, one word, no caps. I mean, of course, it doesn't matter. But, uh, yeah. Well, great stuff. As always, Yanni, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. I always enjoy it. You told, Yanni told me earlier today she actually enjoys doing these episodes, which I did not know was the case, to be honest. You've done probably 20 with me. Yeah. And you actually enjoy it because you get to articulate your thoughts on all this fun I stuff. I get to practice my English. <laughs> That's great to, great to hear you. Uh, and a really great idea for an episode. I, I think it was great. I love it. So, Michael, you have a great rest of your day. I look forward to the next time we get to record with you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me. 
I want to thank everyone for tuning in to The Kelly Patrick Show. Of course, we will have another episode out soon.